Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's bread, sustenance for us. We thank you, Lord, even though that we are given the blessing of working hard to provide food. Ultimately, all that we have comes from your hands. And Lord, you clearly say that men shall not live by just food alone, but our souls are sustained from one word from you. And on the strength of that word, we can run many days and endure and persevere and be encouraged because of your eternal, unchanging, wonderful love for us. Thank you for your word and this opportunity to worship together as a family. Amen. Thanks, Keith. Good and faithful servant have you been. Welcome to New Hope. I'm glad that you've come. Some of you are looking hardly, I can hardly recognize some of you because of the, the suntan. <laughs> you must have been enjoying the good weather. You're looking bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I would encourage you, if it's the first time you're visiting with us, we distribute a set of notes. And I'd encourage you, did, have you all got them? Has anybody not got any notes that needs some? Like, oh. Okay, if you do, just let Jane know. She'll drop you a pair over, some notes over. At the beginning of 2015, you have three choices. How's that? Right up front. Three choices at the beginning of 2015 with your life that's set before you. This year, you can, if you choose, fritter away your time and waste your life. Sometimes we have these discussions with our children. What are you doing with your time? You can spend your life just doing stuff or you can invest your life strategically. The Bible says it this way. A fool starts off in many directions. Do this, do that. Oh, I should do that. Oh, gee, that's a good opportunity. No, I'll try that. A fool starts off in many directions, but a wise man aims at intelligent action. In other words, you are, thanks, niece, you are selective about how you use your time. Because you know what? There is a fixed amount of time that God has given you and I. And at the beginning of the year, it's a great time to look at making the most of God's gifts. And one of the most precious is His gift of time. Now the greatest use of your life, just before we get into the scriptures, when everything's all good and done, the greatest use of your life is to invest it in something that will outlast your life. That just doesn't, when you expire, everything just won't go. Now, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. Romans 6, we're going to kick off with. It says, do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. That's one use. You could use this body to sin. That means to miss the mark of God's perfect plan. Instead, don't do that, but instead, it's very clear. Give yourselves 
completely, which is what Kevin did. And he said, God, I am now giving myself completely to you. Since you have been given new life, new, not old, this is new, not like you had, this is new. And use this body as a tool to do what is right. What for? For the glory of God, not for the fatness of your bank balance. But for the glory of God. So God says this, I don't want you to abuse this beautiful and precious gift of life, which you will have. I will loan you for 80 or 90 years. That's what I'll loan it to you for. He says, don't abuse it, but I want you, in that scripture there, he says, I want you to use this life for good. For good. And for the growth of others and the glory of God. Now, one day, just a quick recap in this church, we often say, one day... You will stand, as will I, before God. Every single person in this room, every single person in this world will stand before God. And he will ask just two questions. The first question, as you know, is this. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you ever develop a relationship or did you just know about him like some historical figure? Did you actually get to know him, to love him and work with him and serve him? And the second question he's going to ask is what we're going to spend some time on today is, what did you do with what I gave you? Not you. What did you do with what I gave you or with what I gave you, which is different to you and you and you? What did you do with what you were lent At the beginning of 2015, that's the question we're going to look at. And Jesus told a story to illustrate and directly get our attention. Almost when my kids used to sit in my knee and I'd be saying something and they wanted to get, I might be reading a story and I might be rocketing along with the story, but if they wanted to get my attention, they'd just reach up and grab my nose and go, and it had my attention immediately. I'd stop what I was doing, yeah, and it really got my attention. And in the same way, God wants to get our attention at the beginning of the year so we can plot our course straight. It's a story about faithfulness to him when he was gone. And we are right now in that period between his first coming and his second physical coming in the flesh. Right now, we are in this period. It speaks to you and to me today before he returns. And it's called the parable of the talents. And it says this, Jesus said, it'll be like a man who goes on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to his servants. So this man clearly, at the get-go, was wealthy enough to have assets and servants and have an amount of money that he wanted his stewards or managers or servants to invest whilst he was gone on a long journey. Now clearly, as we're going to see, he did not want his assets to lie fallow for years, being unproductive. So it says here, to one he gave five talents of money. To another he gave two talents, and another he gave one talent, each according to his ability. Then the master went on his journey. 
Now, as the man who had received five talents, he went out at once and he put his money to work and he gained five more. So in other words, he got the money and he invested it at a 100% return. Good job. The man who had two talents went out and put his money to work also, put his money to work also, and he gained two more. But the man who received one talent went off, hmm, dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. He had not received the one talent to protect it. He was supposed to use it wisely for his master's profits. Now after a long time in between his, his, the master leaving and coming back, the master of those servants returned. And he will return. There is nothing sure. And he returned and he wanted to settle accounts. And one day, God is going to settle accounts with me and with you. Not with you and your husband, not with you and your boyfriend, or it's just you. The man who received five talents brought the five talents and said, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See here, I've gained five more. And the master replied, well done, good. Look how he describes it, that adjective. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of many. Come here and share into your master's happiness. Then the man with two talents also came and he said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents and I gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You too have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. Really? In harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds, so I was afraid. And I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Now his master replied, You wicked, lazy, and unfaithful servant. You say that you knew that I harvested where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered seed. Then, he's saying, if you're logically consistent, buster, you should have at least put my money on deposit with a banker so when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. By the way, buster's not in the Bible. (laughs) Now, said the master, take the talent from him who has won and give it to the one who has 10. Everyone who has been given will be given more and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not, even what he has will be taken from him. Throw the worthless servant into the darkness. Now Jesus here teaches us seven steps for you and me for living in the day that we live. So we can prepare for that day of accountability. It is an incredibly important test and it is a profound honor and humbling honor to share this test with you. 
And to be a good steward, I need to share this. First thing that Jesus teaches us here, and we need to get clear in our thinking before we get into 2015, is this. Every single thing that I have belongs to God. And this is the principle of ownership. He owns the lot. See, I don't own anything, and neither do you. God made it all, and he owns it all, and he loans it to you. It wasn't yours before you were born, and it's not going to be yours after you die. You just get to use it for maybe 80, 90, 100 years, and that's it. And in the grand scheme of eternity, that is a proverbial drop in the bucket. You did not bring one single thing into this world, and trust me, you will not take one single thing out of this. What you th- Here's a sentence. What you think you own is really on loan. You may want to write that down. It will relieve a lot of stress. What you think you own is really on loan. Now, the Bible says that God created human beings to manage, go back to Genesis, God's resources. And God says, I want you to manage well what I have given you. Not anybody else. Don't worry about them. They will never be responsible to God for what you are given. It's only you that will be responsible for what he's given you. But he says, never forget that I am the owner and you are the manager. Now, we get to enjoy whatever God loans us whilst we're here. And then after that, it goes to somebody else. Some of those people right now, I don't even know. That'll get all that I manage whilst I'm on this bit of dirt for a little time. So we must hold it with an open hand, realizing fully we don't own it. And this is very important. It's easy, very, very easy to forget it. And you'll know if you forget it if you're getting super stressed about it. Let me give you a way of looking at this. Let's just say that one day I come to you, uh, you come to me and say, Hey Ian, I am going overseas for a while. And I've got this house. I know you're looking for a house to stay in. But, um, you know, why don't you, you know, I'll lend, I'll lend you my house for a while. But whilst you're here, I just ask you to do three things. Please, can you water the plants? Don't forget the plants. Secondly, don't forget to feed the dog. And thirdly, you know, um, just take care of the place. Okay, that's a great deal, sure. And he says, you know what, you can have it rent free, but just do those three things. So in the early months, let's say I go and I take good care of everything. You know, I get out of bed every day and make the bed every single day. And I'm very careful not to get any marks on the carpet because this isn't my carpet and I need to look after it. This is the boss's. But as the months go on, I begin to forget. It's not mine. It's just on loan. And I start to assume it's mine. And now I go in there and I see the kids are all bouncing on the beds. And I even bounce on the bed, you know. And eat up everything in the refrigerator. And when that's gone, I start digging through his freezer and his cellar and his whatever else he's got there. And I use a spa every night and I soak in it, but I never bother to clean it. About a year later, you come back and you say, Ian, I'm ready to move back in. And you say, you know, and I say to you, well, actually, I don't want to leave my house. And you say, what do you mean your house? This is my house. And you say, I know it's mine because possession is nine-tenths of the law. And I've been in the house a year, so it's my house. And we think, God, that's so silly. Yet, we do that with God all the time. 
we act like what we have is really ours. It's not. It's just on loan and it's temporary. And Jesus illustrates this in verse 14 where he says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Circle there, his. Notice whose it is. It's not yours, it's God's. He loans it. Now, if you understand this first principle that you really don't own anything and it's just on loan, your stress and worry will go down dramatically. You, it, it will. The Bible says this. Also, life does not consist of the abundance of things you possess. See, when I was younger, I got this, I missed this. See, the things that you think you own, you don't. They own you. You think about it. Every day you go to work to pay for them. And then when you, even in the middle of paying for them, you're paying to maintain them and insure them and store them. And sometimes not even in your own place. In storage lockers, can you believe? Isn't that a tad strange? I think we may have lost perspective on that. Life does not consist of the abundance of things that you possess. My daughter and son-in-law have just come back from Uganda and they've been struck with how much we still have. They've been living out of suitcases for the last few years, living very simply, very simply. Now, that's not easy, but it's real simple. And they can keep the main thing the main thing. You see, the Bible says there it's not about things because the greatest things in life are not things. Here's the more point. Here's the point. The more materialistic you are, the more stressed out you're going to be in life. And the more you think that you own it, the more you're going to worry about it. So life isn't what you have in your hand. It's about what you have in your heart. So God says, first point, everything I have really belongs to him. Here's a second principle we learn from this important Story two, God has loaned me a set of talents. A certain set, which is different to your spouse's or your children's. This is the principle of allocation. Now today, talent has come to mean a natural ability or a skill or an aptitude. That's what it's come to mean. But in the day that this was written, it was meant to mean a specific weight of money, a weight, a talent of money. Specifically, it was about a grand. And back then, that, so when the master loans 5K, that's a stack of cash back then, a stack of cash. And from the story, we get the idea of being a great steward of our talents and our abilities because we've all got different talents. I was just talking to a man here today who used to cut, make patterns with Trillis Cooper had the opportunities, and he's been in fashion all the time. Some of you here do also, you've got medical talents, and, and you've got engineering talents, and you've got language talents. Man, I ain't got any of those. I can't even, and drawing talents. Some of you can draw unbelievably. Some of you are good at cooking. Some of you are great at closing deals. It's an important skill. Some are mathematical. Some of you here have PhDs in mathematics. Unbelievable. Some are administration. Some are good at speaking. Some are good at writing, whatever. But there are thousands of talents that God has given us. And in verse 15, he says here, to one he gave five talents of money, to another the master, um, the master gave two talents, another one he gave one, each according to their ability. Notice two things about the talents in the Bible. 
But this parable teaches us, number one, the amounts differ. Five, two, and one. Some people have a different amount of talents. But we're all equally accountable for what's in our hand. A two-talent person is not responsible to the same level as a five-talent person. But they are equally responsible for, to do their best with what they've got. Which seems to ring in my ears. When my mother used to say to me, she said, I don't care whether you get A's or B's or C's as long as you've given it your 100%. Fair point. But you need to make the best of what you've got. We're all equally accountable. Where much has been given, much will be required. Bill Gates gets that. He says at the top of his lungs, it's a biblical principle. That's why he quit Microsoft. And he's spending all of his energies to try and make a big difference in the world. Now, the fact that you are born in the first world, are you here? Or actually, wherever. You are here today, put you light years ahead of the rest of this world. Light years. You didn't choose where you were born and with the things of you, it's a sheer gift. Most of the world would absolutely love to have your problems. You think you've got problems? Trust me. The rest of the world say, please give them to me. I'd love it. Some people just love to even have a roof over the head, let alone a mortgage to pay. In New Zealand, we have freedoms and opportunities that most of the world dream of. And you may say, well, that's not fair. Well, you know what? When you say life's not fair, the Bible would agree. Life on this world, on this terra firma, is not fair. That's why heaven is such an incredible hope. Because God will settle the score because he is the eternal judge, the all-knowing judge, and nobody can pull the wall over his eyes. Life is not fair on a broken planet. So, that's why we pray that I will be done, as it is on earth as in heaven. Why? Because it's done perfectly and fairly in heaven. It's not done fairly and perfectly on earth. Fact is, there are some people who have a lot more opportunity than you. But there's also people that don't have as much opportunity as you. There are people who have more talents than you. But there are people who have fewer talents than you. What matters is not what other people have or don't have, but what do you do with what you have been given? That's the emphasis this morning in this parable. And the other thing is too, in other words, there is no such thing. The second thing I want you to notice in the story is that everybody gets something. Something. There's no such thing as a no-talent person. Everybody has some talents. Romans 12, 6 says this. We have different gifts. Some of you have legal gifts. According to the grace given to us. So, I was listening last night with Kimberly to Carly Fiorona, who started off, who's one of the most powerful CEOs the world has ever seen, an amazing woman. She started off as a secretary, Adeline, in a nine-company person, Carly Fiorona. And she worked to, uh, and eventually, because she did her job well as a secretary, the two owners came to her and said, hey, Carly, we've seen that you do your job really well. Would you like to learn a little bit about business? And she said, sure. And she started from there, and she ended up as a CEO of Hewlett-Packard for six years. Amazing story. And she was just saying this last night, too. What you are is God's gift to you. What you make of those gifts 
that God gave you and lent you is your gift to God. There is an accountability that I need to ring the bell on today at the beginning of 2015. So let's review. Everything I have really belongs who to? To God. Secondly, God has loaned me a certain set of talents and he expects me to use them. He ex- Look at the parable. He expects me to deploy and engage, not disconnect and disengage. Third, God makes and expects me to make the most of what he loans to me. This is the principle of accountability. He expects me to make the most of what he loans to me. So God has made an investment in you. He gave you life and he gave you talents. He gave you opportunities and skills. And he's made an investment and he expects a return on his investment. The Bible says this in Romans 14 verse 12. Here it is. The word of God. Every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God one day. Every one of us. Now, the interesting thing about this is God doesn't draconianly force you to do anything. You have a choice to live for him. He gives you the freedom to choose, but all choices have consequences. You're not free to choose the consequences of those choices. You have to live with those, but you do get to choose. You can actually go blow your life and totally waste it. But one day, you're going to have to explain those choices to God. And sometimes I dream and daydream about that. What would that be like? Or I actually start to move from daydream to thinking about that because I can't just daydream about that. I've actually got to think about that, what it would look like, that conversation. How, you know, why did you choose to do your thing instead of what I wanted you to do? Why I put you on earth? Ah, awkward question. Oh, here's another one. Why did you choose not to do anything with the talents that I gave you that will advance my kingdom and my cause? So the owner came back. Verse 19 says this. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts. He came back. And one day, God will do a life audit after the second coming. And by the way, the second coming, one thing I can absolutely guarantee you in, it will be unexpected. Jesus says it this way, it's like a thief in the night. I didn't expect that, otherwise I'd be prepared. I'd be ready. Come through my window. No, but he sees like a thief. Unexpected is the point. Completely. People be getting married, people be partying, running around like fools. Crazy busy. And then you'll come. So God makes, uh, expects you and I to make the most of what he loans. Here's the fourth principle. Very important. It is wrong to bury what God has loaned me. It is wrong. And this is the, to bury the talents that God has loaned me. This is the principle of utilization. The first guy takes a five, he's given and he doubles it. Good job. Second guy goes out and he doubles his two talents to four. The third guy goes out and he does sweet nothing. He buries them in the ground. Now, again, I want to just draw on the reaction of the master. These are Jesus' words. So he wants us to pay attention. He says, you wicked, 
lazy and unfaithful servant. I can feel the heat coming on here. Question. Do you think he was upset? It could have been so different. It could have been so different. But that wicked, lazy and unfaithful servant freely chose to do what he did. He was free to manage that. Can't blame anybody else, although he tried. We'll get to that later. When you don't develop the talents you're given, it is not good stewardship of your gifts. The third guy bears them in the ground and basically says this, I am scared to death, or he tries to say that, that I might lose it. So I won't do anything that'll go out in the limb. But you know what? I'll play it safe. And that, friends, is a lousy way to live. Big study done a long time ago. One of the three things they asked a whole bunch of octogenarians whether um, what they would do differently. One of them is they would say they would take more risks. I haven't got time to go on all three, but one of them is to take more risks because they got it there. And his master's reaction was quite simply this. What were you thinking? Because there's about some serious consequences about to happen to this third servant. That's what he's saying. What were you thinking? You could have at least put it in the bank or done something. But it says you did nothing. You just buried it. A couple of insights from this story. It's difficult to please God by, keep it, uh, by playing it safe. You find one apostle who played it safe. One man of faith that played it safe. If you're coasting right now, the only way you can possibly be going is downhill. One of the great lessons of life is learning to trust God. And you cannot trust God if you do not take risks. In order to have faith, you must take risks. And the Bible says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know why? Because we're only depending on our own ability then. And our thinking is so small. We need to upsize God hugely. Magnify the Lord with me. Get a right perspective on it. Never be afraid to go out on a limb. Because that's where the fruit is. At the end. Better to attempt to do something great and fail than never attempt to do anything and succeed. God is never going to compare you with anybody else. Be assured of that. He is going to ask you though, did you use the talents and opportunities that I gave you to extend my kingdom? Now, the truth is, today, and towards the end of last year, some of you may have lost your enthusiasm for life. There's no spark. And that wall that seemed so exciting at one stage, when you first became a believer, and everything seemed fresh and new, and it, your senses were heightened, today you're not so sure you feel that anymore. Why? Well, maybe one of the reasons is you're sitting on the sidelines like a spectator. Calling out, hey, you should be doing this. You, no, that's a dumb play. You missed the pass. Over there, what a catch. How can you miss that? You should find all the shots, but are you in the game? 
Maybe you're sitting on the sidelines being a spectator, playing it safe. But the truth is, you'll end up being bored. You're not living for anybody else but yourself. Maybe you're not doing anything that's unselfish. You're not involved in service to any other people. And it's all about you. So at the beginning of 2015, it's time to get off the bench, put on your boots, and move into ministry, which will count. Because the Bible says it this way. It says, nothing you do for the Lord will ever be wasted. Ever be wasted. Nothing. Not sending up a chair, not teaching a lesson, not preparing youth things, which the guys are doing on Tuesday night, which is awesome. Nothing. God takes care of everything, and he notes that. Why are we tempted to hold on to our talents and hold them back? Why are we tempted to let other people do it instead of us? doing what we know God wants us to do. One of the reasons for that, just one, is what can keep me from using my talents is fear. Fear. We'll talk about this, the principle of motivation. The Bible says the third guy, I was afraid. And I went out and I hid. Now, why don't you circle afraid and hid and draw a connection between the two of them. Afraid and hid. Wherever we are afraid, and whenever we're afraid, we start hiding. In our marriages, relationally, spiritually. And we build a little wall around the heart saying, I'm never going to let another man into my life again to hurt me. I'm never going to let another girl in my life that will hurt me like she did. I'm never going to let a friend or a boss... take advantage of me again. I'm going to keep my distance. And friends, there's no way to live. It's interesting that the third guy who buried his talent had his little excuse package made up. You know when you're in trouble? You can't, what am I going to say? So you can't compile a quick sentence that you can defend your stupidity with. (laughs) And so he plans a speech and he says this, Master, I knew you were a hard man. If he really knew the master, he was not a hard man. Number one, he had not increased his knowledge of the master. He had no idea what the master was like. And he was disparaging the master. You know, if you screw up, blame the boss. That's what he's doing here. He says, I knew you were a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown. Man, that is tough. And gathering where you have not scattered. Basically, he's accusing him of being dishonest and a thief. Hmm? Not smart. This guy wasn't particularly bright. So I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground. So who's this guy blaming for the, uh, the failure? His master is saying, well, it's your fault. Have you been doing that with God? God, if you had just given me another husband, I'd never be a speckle, and I could do so much more for you. God, you know that wife you gave me. Now you understand why I'm not doing, not using my talents. This is the big one. Very weak. God, if I just had some more money, more money than I could save you more. Oh God, if you just give me more time, then I could do something for you. Oh God, I don't know what to do. I just, I really... I've got no education. What do you expect, God? 
Or, you know, if I had a few more smarts. Or if he'd give me different... It goes on and on. But God says to you, who are you blaming? I'm not asking you to be somebody you are not. I planned you to be you. And I want you to think about what you're doing with what I gave you and what I've given you. And that's the thing you have to steward well. Third guy, he didn't even make an attempt to do anything. He was superficial. He kind of put in the appearance of, yeah, I'm in, but he really wasn't. He wasn't even, to be honest, here's his core problem. He wasn't really, in his heart of hearts, interested in his master's business. He was just, oh, I'm one of the servants, I'm part of the club. I'll show up, I'll do my thing, but I'm not really interested deep in my heart. Very telling, superficiality. Notice, though, he didn't misuse his talent on immoral and selfish pursuits like the prodigal son did, remember? He did, he took that. Or embezzle it like the unmerciful servant of Matthew 18. Didn't do that. He simply disregarded the stewardship of the gifts that he'd been given. And he says, God says, don't make excuses. Just start putting in some effort. Are you going to invest your time in excuses or in effort? So here's the sixth principle from the story that Jesus told of how to use what he'd given us all. <clears throat> Number six, if I don't use it, I'll lose it. This is a principle of reallocation. Bulge to be- or, uh, yeah, basically, bulge to belly if you're not careful here. Take this talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. He didn't say, let him keep it and he'll do better next time. He said, take it. There's a subtraction going on here. And give it to the other person. And you can see this in life. You you forfeit what you don't use. If you refuse to exercise at that gym, what happens? You start to lose muscle. If you refuse to Think and deploy your mind in mind-engaging activities. Your mind goes dull. Plenty of scientific evidence for that. If you refuse to practice something maybe like piano, what happens? You start to lose the edge or squash or any talent that you're good at. The flip side of this is the positive side. If I do use what God's given me, he gives me more. That's an amazing principle. Here's a verse. verse. Hebrews 13, verse 21. God will equip you with all that you need for doing as well. So please don't say to God, God, I haven't got what I need to do your will. In fact, the Bible says in, uh, in First Peter, it says, God has given us everything we need, everything we need, and he doesn't forget something like we, when we go on holiday, oh, forgot that. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Everything we need. How many of you sometimes feel like you don't have enough energy? Yeah? Anybody feel like that? Yeah? No, no. Or enough time? Mm, double time. Okay. <laughs> or enough money? Yeah. We feel that all the time. What do you do when you feel like that? Well, what you do is whatever you feel you don't have enough of, 
you may recall the other parable. Five loaves, two fishes. Was that enough? Did he have a shortage? Absolutely. But put in the master's hands, it multiplies. So what you don't have enough of, you put in the master's hands as an act of faith and watch how God multiplies it. That is counterintuitive to worldly economics. But they are kingdom principles. Imagine taking a lunch off a little boy. Five loaves, two fishes. 5,000 people. Slight shortage. But yet put in the master's hands. See, selfishness says, oh, that's mine. I'm keeping that. And you know what? He'd have had enough for lunch. But he'd have missed out on a life-changing experience for that kid and the blessing of all these people and to be able to use by God. Because he took what he had a shortage of and he gave it to God. He didn't say, well, you give me some more. Tell you what, God, over here in the corner, you just do me a quick miracle, multiply, and then I'll give more of it out. No, no, no. He said, you give it to me first. And that's what he did. You take what you have, not what you wish you have, and you give it to God, whatever that may be. And the best way to invest it in his forsake is by serving others if it's time. And then watch God, what God does with it. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. If you don't use it, you'll use it. Then there's a sin principle. If I do use what God loans me, he will reward me. We forget this. We get fuzzy on this. In fact, he's looking forward to rewarding you. Kind of like, at Christmas time, he's looking forward to giving your kids the gifts. There's a great excitement ready to go. And that's why he gave it to you in the first place. Don't get this wrong. When we stand before God, he is also waiting to reward us, not to shame us. Notice the parable is two-thirds on rewarding, one-third on decrementing. So the balance of the parable is for the guys who did what they were asked to do. And they were rewarded with a capital R. Today, many of you may focus on the one guy who got depreciated. Remember, the intent of the father in faith is that the two that had the most and were faithful did what they were supposed to do. We get it wrong. God is waiting to reward us, not to shame us. He gave you that talent, that desire to build his interest in the kingdom. And he wants to strengthen you to use that, to make a difference in people's lives. So at the end, his kingdom will be built, his interests are moved forward, and then he can reward you for that talent and the deployment of that. And that's his plan, and that's what he wants to happen. Verse 23, his master replied, well done, good faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Do you see the rewards in that verse? There's a reward of affirmation. Well done, affirmation, for the way that you used what I gave you. Growing my kingdom's influence, making a difference in this world and the next. Then there's a reward of promotion. I'm going to put you in charge of many other things. You've just done this. But man, because you've done this, you get promoted. So there's affirmation and there's promotion in that verse. And then thirdly, there's a sense of celebration. Come, share your master's happiness. He is glad. You are glad when your children succeed. God is glad when his children succeed. 
It's a reward. It's a promotion and celebration for eternity. And that's the reward that God is looking forward to sharing with us, and he wants us to look forward to as well. God did not put you and I on earth just to live for ourselves. You say, well, I don't have time to service. Here is the honest-to-God point. You and I make time for what's important. If you're not involved in any activity that builds and supports God's kingdom, any activity that, and, and selfish activity in your life, could I humbly suggest you are out of balance? And it's possible to get back in balance. When you stand before God one day and he asks you to explain your time on earth, what is it going to show? That your entire life was spent on you? Because the best use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. Now, many of the things you're doing right now and what I'm doing right now, and that's why I highly encourage you. How many of you have got a to-do list? Okay. Can I encourage some of you? Good job. But I want to suggest something that may be very helpful to you. I want you to consider compiling a not-to-do list. What are you going to take out? Because the plate's only this big. And if you keep on taking on, taking on, you need to do or frisk out your whole, have a look at your, how you're spending that time. Some things need to come out. Decide constructively the same way of what you are going to do, decide what you're not going to do. Make it clear. And therefore, you can make things count. Otherwise, you're going to be a mile wide and a millimeter deep. And you'll feel very frustrated. Like things are falling off the plate all the time. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, for that which he cannot lose. Only one life will soon be passed. Only one life, and only what's done for Christ will last. That is the truth. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Would you pray this prayer in your heart? Father, I have realized this day that everything belongs to you. And I'm just a manager of it. It's just on loan. And I realize that you've loaned me a set of talents and that you expect me to make the most of my time and these talents whilst I'm here on this planet. I ask you to forgive me for the times that I've buried my talents and become terribly distracted. And I haven't used them. I also recognize today that if I don't use them, I'll lose them. But I thank you, Lord, that you've promised that if I use what you have given me, that you will reward me. For nothing that's done for you will ever be lost. And you will actually increase what you're giving me. So I want to serve you at the beginning of 2015. In any way that you put on my heart, help me find a place to begin and help me to prune my life of the distractions that you warn us about in your word. If you've never opened up your life to Christ, 
Why don't you say to Jesus, Jesus Christ, I open my heart to you today. I ask you to come into my life and help me to feel and sense your love. I want to learn to love you back and trust you back. In your precious name I pray. Amen.